This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome back to Behind the Markets here on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, joined by Lee Chen Ren. Uh, and our guest for this half hour is going to be Ryan Dietrich, Vice President, Senior Market Strategist, OPL Financial Research. It's really exciting to talk to Ryan today. Uh, Wisdom Tree TSR recently included as part of LPL's No Transaction Fee platform, uh, something that we're very excited about and getting Ryan's view of where in the markets they're focused on at LPL. I should note our discussion is not tied to the offer of save investment products. The views of our guests are their own and not those of Wizard Chief Affiliates. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today on the, on the program. Hey, Jeremy. Thank you very much for having me. I'm honored and delighted to talk markets for, for a while today. It should be a lot of fun. There's a lot to yeah. discuss, obviously. Just a few things. Um, yeah. I recently got to see you attend at the J.C. Peretz uh, Chart Summit, and it sort of caught my eye. You had a lot of great charts, and I know you've, you've sent some over to, to start. So thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, uh, maybe absolutely. give us... Give us, give our listeners a little bit just about yourself, how you f- look at the world, what sort of you're grounded in, in terms of the types of things that you're looking at on a daily basis to, to evaluate the markets. Oh, absolutely. So I've been with LPL Research for just over four years as a senior market strategist. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a big top-down guy. I love looking at the big macro views. But what we'll get into and you'll see is I, I do believe, you know, just about everything's happened before. Um, and you look back at history, you're not going to get the exact path of what's happening. But you can look back at history and see a potential uh, pattern. And that's I love to, to put things in perspective. I love to use numbers to tell stories. I say at the end of the day, a market strategist really tries to tell stories. And you know, once we get into kind of how I look at the world, we'll see it. But I did trade options actually for 11 years at a small firm. So I have more of a quantitative, almost a trader's mentality, although you know, I don't do that anymore. But you know, I like to use quantified data. I'm not the type of strategist who would just say, hey, you know, Jeremy, things are cheap, let's buy. I like to have quantified data to justify why I'm making the decisions that I'm making. And it's, um, you know, it's just been such an interesting year, devastating in so many ways. Yet, you know, I've done this for 22 years, and I've never seen a market where the stock market is doing what it's doing, which is historically one of the strongest three-and-a-half-week bounces ever amongst some of the worst headlines that our country's ever seen, and then trying to piece all of that together. What does it mean for the future? It's, uh, it's challenging, but at the same time, um, quite enjoyable and almost addicting, I think. It is fascinating what is happening. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we like to your point, it had a huge, the fastest correction, 30% drop, and now the fastest bounce back. Where are we in this cycle? What is, is this, is, uh, you know, you heard maybe Professor Siegel gave some comments that the rebound, you know, you're only losing 10% of value if you lost all of one year's of earnings. Right. Um, where, where are we in this cycle? What do you think? 
Well, you know, I mean, the big question I think that people have is we know we just had the 30, the, I'm sorry, the fastest 30% correction ever in stocks. And now we just had one of the greatest 15-day bounces ever. If you look at the S&P, up 27%. But I like, you know, like let's, let's look at the, you know, history. Mark Twain said history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. You know, 1918, we had the one of the one of the worst pandemics in history. 1918, over 50 million people died on the heels of the Great War, which was World War One, when anywhere between 13 to 15 million people died, half, nearly half being civilians. And so you had the terrible war, and then a horrible pandemic. You know, in the midst of kind of the war and the pandemic, stocks lost about 33 percent. Fast forward 50 years to 1968, another major pandemic. A million people die globally, and what happens to stocks? The S&P corrects 36%. Fast forward 50 years later, here we are again with a, a terrible pandemic and another major stock market correction. What did stocks just do? The S&P pulled back 34%. And it's just, you know, again, history repeats. I'm sorry, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. It's fascinating to me that every 50 years we have a major pandemic, we have stocks pull back about mid-30%, and that is exactly what just happened and now we're bouncing. And the big question is we all have talked a lot about, you know, how there's usually a retest after a waterfall crash. Everyone knows 87, October 87. Well, the thing to forget is there's a 15% bounce and then stocks went back down and actually broke those lows just by a hair in December of 87. In October 2002, major market low, pretty good bounce. Then didn't bottom until March 2003. We all know October 2008 was a terrible time for stocks. Almost a 30% bounce in stocks at the end of 2008 rolled over into March of 2009. So what we're getting at is we think we had, a, obviously, a major flush of just unbelievable proportions. You know, less than 1% of stocks above their 50-day moving average is just off the charts, oversold, where we were a couple weeks ago. And we've had a bounce, an unbelievable bounce. But we'd still be kind of leery to think, we're, to be naive and say we're out of the woodwork, or out of the woods, I should say. There's likely going to be a pullback. Do we go all the way back and touch the March 23rd lows? That's what everybody wants to know. Honestly, some of the stuff I look at, with the, we can get into it, the unbelievable fiscal and monetary policy, you hate to say this time is different because those are four most dangerous words in investing, but really was when we look at this policy response and the quickness that we've seen. But I'll tell you, Jeremy, a pullback of you know, anywhere between you know, seven, 8 to 12% or so, uh, get some more fear after this unbelievable bounce is kind of how we're looking at things, and that's where we are. But put a bow on it. We do think that the March 23rd lows are very significant. You look back at market history, we've been through a lot of bad things uh, in our country and in the world, and stocks have come back every single time eventually. It's the resolve of humans and the resolve of our, our country and resolve of you know, what we're doing here and the doctors and social distancing and just the good news today, like you guys just talked about with the doctor a little bit ago. There's always some, not always, but there's some definite positive steps in the right direction with this battle that we're in with COVID-19. And we're going to beat it again. And we still think, you know, this is uh, going to be an opportunity when all is said and done. I mean, in a way, um, I think it's first you got me to set a reminder on my calendar for 2069 to get started a little bit more bearish so i gotta i gotta set that reminder for 50 years from now right. to start Real taking fast. some action so this is the year of the rat the last time we had year of the rat was 2008 okay i'm saying we start right now and say let's just skip 20 20 uh, 32 in 12 years there's no reason to do a year of the rat in 12 years okay well, <laughs> After we'll, the last we'll, two. we'll set that reminder as well yeah. um but the in a way it was easier like you know 
when it was down 33%, it was a little bit easier in a way, I think, to know what to do because, well, for me personally, it's, hey, the markets are overreacting. They are, you know, we're, we're, we're going to come back from this. Um, and I, you know, say overreacting, but it was in panic mode. And you could say, you know, we're going to get started again eventually. Like now that it's moved back up so much, you know, the question is, 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 is the reaction, you know, as as warranted again, and and sort of like, the, and you're, it sounds like you guys may be in this camp that we need to, you know, have a little bit another another downside, like just to check check this this recent recovery here. Yeah, we think that's uh, definitely the case, and I love the um, monthly data that comes out of the Bank of America uh, Fund Manager Survey, six hundred billion dollars under um, management. What they look at and they interview these um, fund managers. Long story short. They just came out with the most overweight cash they've been in history, okay? This is $600 billion that people manage, the most overweight in history, even more than the depths of the financial crisis. And really, rightfully so. We've never seen headlines quite this negative with the stock market, what it did into the March 23rd lows. So you think of it, it's cliche to say, you know, cash on the sidelines. And I know it's all strategists talk about that. But when I see things like that, that makes me, again, think we, we will have a move lower. This is We're not out of the woods. But boy, oh boy, Jeremy, there is just unbelievable amounts of money that are really on the sideline with the unbelievable panic that we just had last month. That it's you know uh, almost comforting in a way to know that you know if we can get with all that policy that we've had from the Fed and from the um, from the government on the fiscal side of things, that you, we're viewing that as a bridge, right? To get the average person to the other side, the people that have been impacted by this, 22 million people lost their jobs the last month, right? To help those people the most, and then if we can use the social distancing and use different things, look at other countries that are slowly starting to open up. We can get there with some of these positive drug results that we're starting to see here. You know, this is going to be the worst quarter of economic data in our lifetime. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you can't make a guarantee, right? Compliance would get mad if I did that. But we're going to see some of the worst economic data we've ever seen in our lifetime. The positive news is, you know, by third and fourth quarter, we could see some of the best economic data of our, in our lifetime as things bounce back. When I see all that money on the sidelines of what the Fed is doing and what the uh, fiscal, what the government's doing, it really does suggest to us that there's a lot of kindling, a lot of fuel for the for the stock market. And, then, you know, to wrap it up here, the stock market's not the economy, right? I mean, usually they go about the same way. They, they're not right now. When you look back at market history, and we did this every recession back to World War II, the stock market bottoms five months before the recession ends. Think about the last one, right? Stock bottom March 2003. Recession wasn't over, uh, officially over until June of 2000. I'm sorry, it was March of 2009. Sorry, was the major low. Three months later, June of 2009 is when the recession was over. You can have almost 25% bounce in stocks from the lows in the midst of a recession, okay? Because stocks are forward-looking, and they tend to see better times ahead. And we really do think that this will be one of the shortest ever recessions on record. The previous shortest ever was early 80s, uh, six months. And, you know, the, the NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research, has changed the way they look at recessions. We all grew up thinking it's two negative quarters in a row. Well, now they say it's a couple negative months in a row you can have a recession. They haven't called it officially a recession, but with 22 million people losing their jobs, we're calling this a recession, uh, in yeah. our view, at LPL Research. But, again, we think it can be a very, very short recession. And the last thing I'll say on this, you think about what caused the recession, it's the government, right? At the end of the day, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, the government said stay inside. The government said you know, don't go to work, stay inside to a lot of people. That's causing this recession. 
the last time the government caused a recession was the early 80s when Paul Volcker, all six foot seven, tallest Fed chairperson ever, Paul Volcker, increased interest rates to break the back of inflation. It caused a recession in the early 80s. And then, you know, we had the shortest recession ever. It was only six months in the early 80s. So you think about some of these similarities where the government caused this one. They kind of caused the other one in- increasing rates in the early 80s. They were short recessions. And what happened when they broke the back of inflation? It opened up some pretty good times in the 1980s and 1990s. Um, and we think the short-term pain that we're all clearly feeling right now uh, is, um, is somewhat similar to what we saw in the early 80s when they hiked rates. You know, it's sort of interesting. Now, in a way, it's sort of the exact opposite period. Um, when you say, like, um, I mean, for sure, I think it's, a, it's, it's even more than a recession. It's just a complete shutdown of the economy. So it's like, you, how can you not be? Because there's nobody doing anything besides the essential workers of food and, and health care. But, um, you know, and they were trying to break the backs of inflation now, and we can't get anywhere having anything like inflation. People are more worried about deflation in a lot of ways. Is 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 now? Is it going to reverse like then, where they sort of raised interest rates and uh, and and cut the back of inflation? But now all the new measures. Is, do you guys see any chance inflation is going to come back? That's one of the themes that we're, we're talking a lot about recently. Yeah, exactly. I mean, let's be honest. If inflation comes back, it probably would be a good thing. It probably means we've won, right? I mean, we. We haven't seen much inflation at all. And you look at, you know, oil. I know oil's now big again today. I mean, nobody's driving anywhere, right? So well, you can cut production all you want. But when you look at, you know, just globally, um, the, 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 the need to drive and need to buy oil, and, you know, what's the stats? 95% of people aren't flying like they were exactly a year ago, or at least going through the TSA security lines. And, again, you know, it's all about supply and demand. And, and there's a lot of reasons to think inflation is going to have trouble you know, creeping back, even though the, what do the books tell us, right? I mean, you, you're supposed to see more inflation when there's quantitative easing, right? And that's kind of, but we did for 10 years, we saw quantitative easing really during that last recovery and didn't see any inflation. So at the same time, it's, it's a very unique situation. I mean, the, the government knows, and the Fed knows, I'm sorry, deflation is about the worst thing that can happen. And one of the things we've heard a lot, Jeremy, is, is now another Great Depression. Like you said, this isn't just a recession. I mean, this is just an outright stoppage of our economy like we've never seen before in any time in history. But after the, great, uh, after the uh, crash of two, uh, 1929, right, stocks crashed. We go into a recession. It turns into a depression. Why did it turn into a depression, in our view? You look at the government. They increased taxes. The Fed tightened monetary policy. There was a global trade war. Oh, by the way, there's also massive uh, regulation put in place that hurt small businesses. Those four things combined were about how not to help an economy get out of a recession. And that's why it was about a nine-year Great Depression with unemployment 15% nine years after the crash. Fast forward to right now, well, the government's literally sending people money. You know, the Fed is unbelievably loosening policy. There's no global trade war. And, and there's some different regulations taking place for financial companies to really help them leverage up when they need to most. So those are some, some things that we've heard a lot about. Is it another depression? And our take, as I just laid out, is what the mistakes after um, 1929's crash or anything, but we're seeing right now. So it's scary, and it's, there's a lot of bad stuff happening. But that should be hopefully somewhat comforting uh, to people who worry if there's a depression around the corner. Let me just reintroduce our guest. We're talking with Brian Dietrich of LPL Financial about his views of what's happening in, in, the, in the markets, the economy a little bit. Um, Ryan, I, I want to come back to one of the charts you brought up uh, and just 
that sort of go into it a little bit further. Um, so you talked about the, the fund manager survey from Merrill Lynch, which is showing these record percentage of the, those fund managers, 600 billion of fund managers who have record levels of cash. You know, one of the things, you know, you hear on Twitter is that uh, sort of the long-term Vanguard investors put money to work and compared to, say, maybe this is like the more professional institutional managers who are getting more afraid um, do you see that in your client base at LPL? Do you see investors putting taking the dips as as buys, or where, where, what do you think about from from your LPL client perspective? Yeah, great question. I mean, we've got seventeen thousand different advisors, so obviously it's tough to to make one major assumption. But when I do a lot of calls and a lot of uh, talking with our advisors and client calls for their clients, I mean, people were, have been worried, but really, I think overall, your average investor. It has really taken this almost in stride because it happens so fast. I mean, it, you know, we were down 34% in what? I mean, about three weeks, three and a half weeks or so. So it's like, you know, if you didn't move right away and now we've snapped back just as fast. So the reality of the fact is a lot of the average investors have just, you know, it happened so fast they didn't really have time to react and now we're back up. So it almost hasn't affected them quite as much. Um, but you're right. The, the professional guys are the ones that are really worried because they understand the, 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 a lot of the scary headlines that are out there. I mean, everyone's following the same headlines, believe me. But it, it does feel like the average investor has taken this almost a little bit more in stride. And honestly, that's, I think that's great. I mean, you know, we can talk all the numbers we want. Bottom line is if you hold something for 20 years on a total return basis on the S&P, stocks have never been lower. It doesn't matter when you buy. You could have bought the peak of 1929. 20 years later, you're higher on a total return basis. You could buy the peak in 2000. Again, you're much higher, you know, on a total return basis. So I think hopefully investors are aware of that. And believe me, there's better times to buy than, than not. Um, but when you have these major sell-offs, uh, that's a good time to, to add to um, – or at least keep your strategy is what I should say. And overall, we've, I've been really impressed with the way uh, so many of our LPL advisors have been navigating and helping their clients through this time. It's, it's incredibly scary. There's no question. But with yeah. this much stimulus in play, it is just so, you know, let's look at the Fed balance sheet, right? Over $6 trillion, up over 50% the last month or so. If there's one thing we know, it's when the Fed increases its balance sheet, that's a tailwind for stocks. It doesn't really help the economy. I mean, let's be honest, it doesn't. What helps the economy is fiscal stimulus and confidence. But what the Fed's doing is trying to bring back confidence and liquidity to the credit markets, like you guys talked about a little bit ago. And and that's a tailwind that is just not something we want to avoid from an investment point of view. So when when you think about within, you know, we talked a little bit high level. Um, where, where is there parts within the market that you're looking at? You know, when you think about positioning portfolios, you know, things are moving so quickly now. How are you thinking about going within, you know, within the intramarkets? You got the S&P versus small caps. Small caps have had a terrible stretch, one of the worst stretches ever. Um, do you think that starts to bottom here? How do you think about the bottoming process there? Yeah, I mean, you know, on large versus small, fortunately, we've been tilted on large coming into this year, and that's been a big, big advantage. And we, we talk about this on our team, you know, quite often. And the way we're looking at it is we can – I know smalls are really doing well today. I mean, they get some, 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 some rallies here and there. But bigger picture, you know, late in the cycle, we're, we, we think large is still the way to go. Um, I know there's always been talk, you know, is it time for, for small versus large, but we're still sticking with um, large over small here. And we're going to use, like I said, an 8 to 12% correction if we can get that. Um, we, we definitely would use this opportunity to go into still large over small. We also like tech and healthcare, And I know those have been the two strongest groups, but sometimes trends prevail. And just look at healthcare. You know, I don't know if it's value or growth. It's got some of both in there, right? It's like a valued name because you got the drugs, you got the biotech and some of the health devices. 
um, medical devices, which is kind of a growth your area. But the bottom line is healthcare went nowhere for a long time, and now it's starting to break out. And then tech just continues to be a leader. You look at the 23 different bear markets going back to um, the Great Depression. Six months later, 18 out of those 23 technology-led. So technology has done really well, and we still like that group a lot as well. Industrials is kind of the wild card out there. We're more market weight on industrials, but, uh, you know, we're seeing the good news out of Boeing today, right? I mean, no one's giving Boeing too much love. They're up 11% saying they're going to start building planes. And I know the good news is government, the economy might start opening. That's great. And then the fact that um, there's a potential positive drug with Gilead, as you guys talked about, but Boeing saying they're opening up. There's 2 million people on their supply chain that are impacted by Boeing, okay? So the fact that Boeing's opening up is only going to help a lot of people in the United States and globally. So that's um, you know, three, three potential positive things that we've seen today. But overall, you know, the next five to ten years, we really continue to think stocks will outperform bonds by, by a pretty decent uh, margin when you look at how low yields are. We stick with um, you know, the growth over value by just a tad. You know, we still like growth over value by just a little bit, and we definitely like large over small still. And emerging markets are a wild one, too. Not a wild one, but a wild card. I mean, they're, they're really cheap. Earnings this year in EM is still supposed to grow, right? EM, earnings in the U.S. is supposed to be negative by a pretty good amount. But EM is still actually supposed to grow this year, according to some of the current analyst uh, estimates that are out there. So that's an area that the U.S. dollar starts to weaken, and that's our base case. Uh, people look at you like you're crazy when you say emerging markets. You know, the Chinese Shenzhen is actually higher year-to-date, about one of the few markets that are higher year-to-date. Um, so there's, there's some strength coming from emerging markets that is something we're not ignoring either, and we do like that group as well. Yeah, we're, I've been looking, you know, there's a lot of the China tech stocks in particular, which um, I know I think you talked about in one of the things I've, I followed from that, that sort of chart summit. But, you know, they, you know, in a lot of these work from home trends, I mean, I think that's even what you see today. People worried we're coming out of the, uh, worried, they see we're coming out of the work from home and sort of the, the big, you know, work from home stocks like the Amazons and the Netflixes, mm-hmm. you know, under a little bit of pressure on a relative basis. But in China, those work from home themes um, got cemented and the China tech has been, you know, compared to the broader emerging markets, a big over a thousand base points out performance, something like that. Um, is yeah, that something? Anyway, you- yeah, we, we I like want to that. Add a, a little, oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry, hi, this is I think in, in terms of China tech, um, one thing people didn't realize is that a lot of China tech is also very retail uh, oriented not just uh, working from home, uh, like uh, um, the virtual. So for example, you know, like Alibaba, they, like Amazon, Amazon and Apple has done, I think, better than Facebook and uh, Google because they not only have the virtual, the technology piece, but they also have the retail, you know, retail client piece. Um, so that that is something, uh, for example, like Alibaba has really significant uh, deliver, online delivery uh, part of their own. Um, which has really helped their earnings. Sorry, no, go ahead. Great points there. And, you know, on Chinese tech, I mean, I, I manage a more of a tactical model uh, for, for our LPL advisors here. And we've been in Chinese tech for a couple of months, and the bottom line is we've had a lot of relative strength under the surface with the idea of a couple months ago, if you said, I like Chinese tech, you get looked at like you're crazy. Um, and sometimes those are some of the best investments you could make. And sure enough, Chinese tech has been taking the baton and led, and that is the way um, it's going. And as, we, as we're speaking, guys, you know, markets are still they're up a little bit higher. S&P's up 1.8%. Think about this. We've only uh, had one up Friday since, since Valentine's Day. 
okay? You know, Friday's only up three times all year for the S&P 500. Why is that? Nobody wanted to hold over the weekend because bad things can happen over the weekend. And this is a nice, subtle change to, you know, thinking about just what's Mr. Market thinking. Well, if we can hold on to some gains here, that'd be an up Friday. And you think about last week, we didn't have Friday because the holiday markets were closed. But we had a really good up Thursday, okay? So now I know the Fed came in and said they're going to actually buy junk bonds, which really, really helped markets. But still, Holding over the weekend, this could be two weeks in a row now. People are willing to hold over the weekend. I mean, that's you know, we can talk about all the good things and bad things that are out there. What the market's telling us by willing to hold over the weekend two weeks in a row is, hey, getting much more comfortable with things, and that's uh, you know only only a good thing because we saw some terrible Fridays, obviously, back in February and March. Uh, so you mentioned liking. I mean, that's a really good positive sign. So that's uh, I, I love that point there. Um, you, you mentioned in some of the tactical positions, China Tech is a theme, large over small, still um, no no play in the rebound, and then sort of uh, sort of tech and healthcare. Any closing thoughts on how you're positioning around the world? Where what else you guys are, are looking at as tactical overweights? Yeah, well, I mean, those are some of the big themes for our, for our tactical overweights. You know, we still we look we like stocks over bonds, like I said. At least on, let's talk about fixed income for a second. With rates so low and yields so low, you know, this, this in a crisis like this, we're still buying investment grade um, bonds. We think that's the way to go, and we're shortening up our duration a little bit as we do think. You know, there's a lot of negative things out there, and I know the ten year as we speak is at 61 basis points, but. There are some reasons, in our opinion, if the second half can get some better news, we're going to see higher yields. We're shortening up duration by a little higher credit on the uh, fixed income side of things. But we're sticking with what brought us to the dance, you know, a little bit growth over value, sticking with uh, technology, sticking with the healthcare names, and uh, large over smaller, how we're uh, looking at uh, our tactical and longer-term models. Very good. Um, and how are everybody holding up on the, on the LPL team? How you guys been managing through all, all this dynamic? Yeah, it has been obviously like everyone else, a very interesting situation. But you know, we've all gotten very good at Zoom calls. We've all gotten very good at WebEx calls. Um, it, it is amazing. You know, we adapt, and that's just such an important thing to note. Like I mentioned, in, in um, you know, after World War One, you had 50, 50 million people die in a terrible pandemic, and then you had the the baseball scandal of nineteen nineteen with the White Sox. Oh, and then you had a two year recession in nineteen twenty twenty one. Who in their right mind would have thought the Roaring Twenties would be such a great time for economic expansion and stock market gains? Nobody, if you live through that terrible time. And the reality is when things are extremely darkest, the light can come out and there can be opportunity. And, you know, that's the Chinese word for crisis is two symbols, right? Danger and opportunity is the Chinese word for crisis. And in a crisis, there's opportunity. And we really think that's where it is. And LPL's done a great job of trying to you know, man the fort and, and, and make sure we're helping our advisors able to help their clients. And I think we're doing a pretty good job of it. And obviously the market, you know, up 20-something, over 25% off the lows doesn't hurt. But um, it's yep. been a we- unique, unique time. Ryan, I, what a great way to end the program. Thank you. On the go, Let's hope for the roaring 20s that we get here in the 2000s. Uh, we've been talking with Ryan Dietrich, Senior Strategist at LPL Financial. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. We had Lee Chen Ren. You can listen to our Behind the Markets podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.